They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. A few weeks ago, I ended up having a discussion with someone that went along a bit of an unexpected line. Normally, when people come up to me and say that they're going to ask about the sacraments or about the church, I usually can predict where the conversation is going. Either they have fallen away from their belief in the faith, or they are drawn to another Christian denomination and want to see why I would say they should remain Catholic. Sometimes you get surprised, and you find a person who's actually done quite a bit of study on their own, and they just want a clarification. But this person's question presented an interesting challenge. A question which actually is central to the mystery that we celebrate today. You see, he wasn't asking how the sacraments work in the economy of grace, or how the church has the authority to perform these sacramental acts. What he didn't understand is how the church could argue that the more ceremonial elements which surround these sacraments, which surround Catholic worship even, how these acts could be considered essential or necessary, since it is obvious that they have developed throughout history or within various cultural contexts. And I admit that despite the fact that I have a graduate education in liturgy, and despite the fact that my thesis is actually on this very topic, I was unprepared to respond because of the uniqueness of the question. It's just not something that people ask about that often. The mystery that we celebrate today is one that, for most people, we have heard about. We even dress children up in pageants each year to remind us of the story. Three wise men, magi we call them, come into the scene in St. Matthew's Gospel in order to offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the newborn Christ. But an element of the story that we might quickly pass over is the line which directly precedes their gift-giving. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. In many ways, their act of homage is far more important than the gifts that they offer. The fact that they offer this child various expensive gifts doesn't denote who he truly is. Kings and princes, magi and emperors, these people receive luxuries at their birth. But God receives worship. They prostrate themselves before him, not because they recognized him as a savior. Remember that the wise men were not Jews. They were not waiting a Messiah. They prostrate themselves because they recognize him as God. And God deserves worship. Furthermore, they knew that he was God because God had revealed himself to them in a way that they could recognize, in a star a worldly sign. God reveals himself to Mary and to Joseph through the message of an angel. But he reveals himself to the pagan magi in a star so that they would understand. And likewise, the magi offer gifts before Christ which reveal who he is in a way that we may recognize. Gold, because he is a king. Frankincense, because he is God and myrrh, because his mission was to die. These three gifts, 
though not essential to the Magi's worship, express hidden realities by representing them to us in a physical way, in a way similar to the Incarnation itself. God made himself incarnate and born of the Virgin so that that his love would not be hidden from us, but be made visible in the most fitting way possible in his death upon the cross. God is love, and there is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is why the church often speaks of the final revelation of God being made through Jesus Christ. God reveals himself to us in a way that we can recognize. He makes himself small for us so that we can know him and grow closer to him, and ultimately so that we may worship him. And thus in the sacraments and in the public worship of the church, which we call the sacred liturgy, God makes use of signs and symbols in order to express to us the hidden reality of his love and his grace. And this is done, firstly, in the essential elements of these acts of worship. God offers us his real presence in the Eucharist under the sign of bread and wine. He truly washes away the guilt of original sin through the symbol of baptismal washing. But the church, in order to edify us, and to enable us to better respond to God's love, surrounds these signs and symbols with her own language of ceremony. So just as the Magi reveal to us the identity of the child through the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the Church makes use of the language of beauty and culture to reveal to us and instill within us the disposition that we must have to approach the Lord and to give Him homage. And thus in the Eucharist, we are each present before the Lord himself in the flesh. It is sufficient that we have knowledge of that. If we are fully aware of the presence of our Lord in the sacrament, we couldn't resist the urge to bend our knee, to crawl to this altar and meet him. But because we are not able to perceive this hidden reality behind the sign of bread and wine, the church surrounds this simple act with a host of ceremonial actions that we call the Mass. And what gifts does the Church offer us? The same gifts of the Magi. She offers gold. That is, she gives us the most beautiful elements that she can envision. Beautiful text drawn from sacred scripture and from the wealth of the spiritual tradition of the Church. Beautiful and choreographed movements through the sanctuary. Beautiful vestments. Beautiful music beautiful vessels which are even made from gold and silver. And she offers all of these elements not because she wants to adorn the human ministers themselves, but to remind us and to reveal to us in a limited way the infinite beauty of God. For this reason, the Church strictly protects these ceremonial acts in order to ensure that they are available to the faithful in all her parishes, because the beauty of the sacred liturgy is a rite of all the faithful. Secondly, she offers us frankincense. That is, she proposes to us certain elements which we may offer as literal sacrifices. An obvious example, of course, is incense, something which most modern Catholics seem to consider a nuisance, but something which is rooted in a rich meaning and is deeply tied to the ancient worship of God for the primary reason that incense was one of the only original actions 
that God himself prescribed in sacred scripture to be used in his worship. Incense is a literal sacrifice. We burn this precious and sometimes even costly incense and thereby render it useless to us. It is totally given to God. The same is seen in candles. Traditionally, we always make our candles of wax. Candles can be costly, especially if they are made from real beeswax. But they offer to the Lord in sacrifice. Flowers, too, and especially on greater feast days, more difficult efforts which require time and preparation, such as difficult musical pieces or the preparation of the altar service for major feasts. These things are done to remind us and teach us that everything belongs to God, who is both the origin and the destination of all things. And finally, the church offers us myrrh. That is, she admonishes us to offer our own human elements as well. The use of our voice, our time, our talent, and yes, even our labor in the form of monetary gifts. Our approach to these sort of things should never be done out of a sense of duty or necessity, such as saying that we're only willing to help at Mass when no one else is available, or we are only willing to give monetarily to the parish when we know of a particular or urgent need. This is not true generosity. Rather, we are called to give of ourselves because such love is due to God. We know that God deserves this and so much more, but we express our love of God through these meager gifts. Just as the love of a parent cannot be confined to a single Christmas present, our love of God cannot be confined to our gifts, but we do well to offer what we are able in a way that truly expresses the movement of our heart. And therefore, the church in her sacred and public worship does not seek to burden us with long and meaningless ceremonies wrapped in human tradition, but encourages us to mimic the Magi who divested themselves of the riches that were meaningful to them, and in so doing, learn from these gifts, these ceremonies, of the infinite love and beauty of a God who would be willing to not merely be born a child, but to die out of love for us. In this way, it isn't enough that we simply gather here and recite a few words and share in this sacramental meal. It is essential that we enter into this sacred worship and learn from it, learn from the wisdom of the church who, like these wise men, now points us towards the Father and opens up her treasures for us to see, and in seeing them, see God, and in seeing God, worship him.